And now, it's time for the Dad Bod Rap Pod with your hosts, Damone Carter, David Ma, and Nate LeBlanc. Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 152. It's a new year. And as we can already tell, off to a great start. I think all of our, you know, intentions that we set that 2021 would be different from the shit show of 2020 have all come to pass already. Uh, my name is Damone Carter, a.k.a. Dim One. I am joined in Zoom by the incomparable producer extraordinaire, Nate LeBlanc. How's it going, man? Really thought you were loading up an incompetent there. I was like, ooh, getting off to a spicy start. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm incompetent? <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I'm okay. It's, it's a weird time. It's yeah. now we have open insurrection to deal with. Like, it's, I do, I, I'm not ready to start making. I didn't have that on my 2021 bingo card jokes no. yet, but I guess I just did. Um, no. But, yeah, it's just a disgusting display last week really disheartening um we didn't even get time to be happy about the georgia senate races you know what i mean right it's like right. it's not the worst part of it but it is a, a part that is stupid and sucky about it uh but you know i'm personally i'm actually fine i'm good so thanks yeah good good <laughs> to hear man um also in zoom with us we have the incredible david ma how's it going man Hey, you guys. Uh, good to be here. Good to be back. Um, 2021's been a long year, so uh, let's see how it goes. Uh, yeah, man, fucking just sort of to Nate's point, doom and gloom everywhere. But, um, you know, ha happy to be safe. Happy to be here. What's going That's on? That's what's up. Um, yeah, I I'm doing all right. Just, um, you know, I am tired of living through historic times. Straight up. I right. want boring times. Give me, give me 96 again. So I feel like in, in 96, life was appropriately boring. Um, give me precedented. Everything's unprecedented. Give me precedent. <laughs> give me some of that precedent, bruh. Um, yeah, man. <laughs> Impeach the precedent. Um, yeah, shit's been crazy. We're, we're, we're coping with it with everybody else. We hope that um, all y'all are doing well and, and safe and kind of uh, managing your news intake. Um, shit is wild. I, I do want to uplift um, one of the best tweets I saw about everything. Um, and it said, coo the color of mayonnaise, um, <laughs> which is a, a riff on a, on a two chains line. Um, we are, are coming into 2021, um, you know, with, with heavy hearts for many reasons. We had our Doom Memorial episode. Last week, uh, shout out to Open Mike Eagle for joining us for that conversation. Um, a lot of you have kind of listened and chimed in. Um, I think today is my first day of doing like non-doom tweets and such. But um, yeah, I, I just want to kind of to tie the bow on that. Um, what has it been like for you guys? We, we had the opportunity to do the show, which I think is very cathartic. And, and I was grateful to have that space. Just want to get your reactions to kind of the reactions to the reactions and also kind of how you're you're processing things. Nate, how has the 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 doom kind of mourning period been for you? I'm well, let me put it this way. Last week was my first week back after taking kind of a furloughed 
so I didn't have a choice about it break from my day job. So I like, especially in the last kind of days of that, I was really kind of wallowing in my grief about MF Doom's passing, which was weird because of the way it was announced. And like, there was like, it actually he had been passed away since October and we had to all wor worry about the mystery of that and what had happened. Um, and so I can't, I, I like continued that and like brought it up into our recording and the editing of the show and like kind of the release of the show. And I have to say, um, people have been really, really kind about the way we devised and released and edited the show. And that kind of helped. And we, we actually put the show out right before the insurrection. So we kind of got it out at like the last minute where I would have been okay putting it out. Like I would not have put it out while the Confederate flag was inside the U S Capitol. Like I just straight up wouldn't have really. Okay. Personally. Okay. I would have been like, this yeah. is not the time. So I was glad that we got it released. And like, honestly, people's messages have been really, 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 really cool, really heartening. Um, but I'm, I'm still pretty bummed about it. I'm, I, the thing that I've been doing to make me feel better is listening to his music. I was having this big text conversation with Dave and another buddy of ours about like the monster Island czars record. I probably hadn't pulled that out since it came out, but it's like a doom record where he's really involved that I haven't memorized. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like his main records. They're just part of my life. I, I know all the twists and turns and I'm really, really familiar with it. So it's been cool to go back to find like guest verses that I had like kind of missed at the time. Like um, someone we're really cool with. I can't remember who apologies to this person uh, recommended. I go back and listen to the doom track on Debris um, three of three mm. record um great great doom mm -hmm. verse he mentions dr bronner's soap which is like personally important to me and just it's just like <laughs> such a cool little doom thing um so i've just been like kind of rather than tweeting my way through it or like publicly mourning so much i'm just like in my car in my headphones on my walks i'm listening to a ton of his music and just appreciating the art so i'm, I'm feeling a little bit better because you know life goes on um, and I'm glad we had a chance to contribute in our small way with our memorial episode and having Mike on, I think like really worked out. He's not only our patron and the owner of the podcast network that we're on, which we didn't really like acknowledge on the show and maybe we probably should have, but it's fine. But he's like, you know, such a, such a doom mega fan and was also kind of in his feelings. So we were all there together. So uh, I'm doing good with it, but that's, that's kind of where I am. Just listen to the music. It's all, it's all there. True that, true that. Dave, how, how's it been for you? Um, it hasn't been too easy, you know, but um, seeing the sort of to Nate's point, seeing the outpouring of support, seeing all the flowers given, seeing how other people process their, their pain has actually helped. I mean, I loved, I loved seeing all these um, tributes, you know, the Aesop Rock Homeboy Sandman one's great. Oh, so all the stuff um, Nature Sounds has, you know, been unleashing. Just, just so much stuff, so much material. Um, and it's really heartening to see. I mean, I, I, I recall when I first found out about it and we were all confused and um, shout out um, Adam Mansbog and um, Sean Kantrowitz, they both DM'd me and were both like, oh, I don't know, let's contact someone from Rhymesayers, let's call Grimm, let's, let's figure out what the fuck. And after all that sort of confusion, it's good to see like a bit of an exhale period. And this is the exhale period and you know, uh, being able to do that Doom show uh, was really healing. So, yeah, man, thank you guys. And thanks um, everyone's feedback. I mean, the feedback regarding the show has been great. So, I mean, if we added a, the teeniest, tiniest amount of um, healing out there, um, I'm happy to do it, man. Um, how, yeah. how, about, how about you, Damone? 
Yeah, I've, uh, like Nate, just been going back through old Doom stuff, and I've landed on an idea that I want to speak into the universe, also that so we could brand it before it gets stolen. <laughs> um, I think we need to be doing Doom karaoke. That's where this uh, is going. Doom, okay. Nate said it on the show, to understand and appreciate MF Doom is to say the lyrics yourself. And I totally. always thought that was just like a rapper thing, but it's it's so, so true. And so mm -hmm. I've been going back and going, could I kill this at Doom Karaoke? I'm already setting up a whole scene in my head of what Doom Karaoke will be. Uh, That's a lot of droplets, so we're going to have to do it next summer or something. <laughs> Seriously. Um, so I'm, I'm just, yeah, living with the music, um, experience, you know, celebrating his life through the music. And right. um, I think I will get on, you know, some of the releases that maybe I slept on now is that time where I feel compelled to go back and, and kind of go through things. So um, we're, we're happy to have kind of added on. Shout out to everybody else that's kind of doing tribute -y stuff. Uh, death, death to the Profiteers of, uh, of Doom's Legacy has been kind of disgusting, some of the stuff that's coming out, but predictable. We, knew, we know that's what happens. Of course. Um, and also, once again, shout out to our, our podcast benefactor, Open Mike Eagle, for joining us on the program. Um, yeah, so we encourage you, if you haven't checked that one out, please do. I think it's, it's worth a listen. It's a, a great production job by uh, Mr. Nate LeBlanc. And, you know, we will keep raising the flag for Doom. We haven't, that's not our last Doom conversation. We'll, we'll still continue to, to bring that content to y'all. Uh, as we move through 2021, um, Doom once said that, that he held a crown in DJ microphone and the wheels of steel. Um, and on that note, we're going to talk about uh, a topic that I'm not sure where, where the seed for this came from, but we did a question of the week with uh, folks on Twitter. And the question was, who is the best pro DJ slash producer, DJ slash producer. And let me, um, before Nate um, comes in with the Sammy semantics, uh, uh, rule book. All I meant by that is who is the person who holds both of those skill sets best, right? Um, I know a lot of producers kind of DJ um, and some DJs kind of produce. We're talking about folks who are excel in both categories and uh, we got a robust response from our timeline on Twitter. As always, you can hit us up at Pod. But before we go there, I just wanted to um, kind of sample the, uh, what the bros are thinking here. Dave Ma, when I say best producer DJ, wh where does your head go? Um, well, my, my head gets a little bit semantic as well, and I'll save that for Nate's portion. But, you know, there's some DJs that produce, and there's some producers who can DJ. But, again, to your prompt, it's rarely – it's a rare feat to get somebody who can do it even-handedly. Um, off top sort of for me it's got to be Edon because i love not only his production but i've seen him do crazy turntable shit live so Edon, um lord finesse i think just blaze needs to be brought up in the conversation um you know um primo of course i mean we, we can go on and on and probably like circle back and lists some lists but um what about you nate I have two kind of things like one I would say like it's primo everyone like you're right 
it is. That's the, he's the guy. Like he he holds it holds it down for scratching mm-hmm. in his like productions to this day. He has a current radio show, and he's probably one of the, if not the greatest hip hop producers who ever lived. He has a signature sound. He has decades of hits. So like it's an right. easy question, but a bad podcast segment, right? It's like if we just like went there and stopped. That's that's like <laughs> not how this works. But I would say it's it's if if gun to my head or whatever we should probably stop using that metaphor um that that's an easy answer and then i do want to give um respect to the triple threats which i had a little category for too which is jay doom and idon who are like they have they have considerable skills in the djing um producing and all three of them particularly rhyming um which Mm -hmm. leads me to believe and i do we have a lot of evidence of Doom DJing? He says right, that line. I right. love that line. He holds a crown in all three for getting down without a doubt. But right. I've never seen him DJ. And with a lot of peop- the people who are listing on uh, Twitter, I was actually like, I've never seen that person DJ. Is that like a thing? Because I don't live in the club, near the clubs of their area. Like you don't I'm not sure. Or, you know what I mean? I, I'm sorry to cut you off. but no, you're good. I'm you're not good. Sh- I'm not sure if um, when I say best producer DJ, people went to producer I've seen behind two turntables. Right. And just kind of inserted. Um, I, I, there's some interesting responses and we'll, we'll get to them, but I, I do think it's kind of like, there's oftentimes an assumption that a good producer is also a good DJ, but they're kind of separate skill sets, right, Nate? I have to say, I've, I've seen oh. some big names uh, get up behind some turntables and do some very basic to embarrassing uh, sets. Like, I'm, we're trying to keep it positive here, but a lot of our friends book parties. I used to actually go to them when I was younger. Sometimes it was like, oh, oh boy. That's uh, <laughs> that not a very impressive display. You did play the record after the other record. That's good. You got the first part of it down. But there's a little bit more to it than that. And then I have a whole category of people who are just incredible DJs who then produce. And I'll go through right. some of those. Like um, Mr. S- uh, Mr. Dibbs has some mm. beats I really like and is probably is like just a phenomenal DJ. One of the best you'll ever see. DJ mm-hmm. Sikai, also from 1200 Hobos, did some kind of abstract dark beat stuff that I really liked and is an amazing turntablist. Uh, Babu, um, a lot mm. of the cats from Beat Junkies also produce um your dj spinners and rich medinas like they're they're basically collector mm-hmm. style djs and then they have mm-hmm. real like successful productions um a track whose music doesn't really fall into the hip-hop spectrum but is one of the world's great djs since he's like 12 years old and is a, a very well-known producer in other fields um jazzy jeff you know there's like a legend in both yeah. fields um though probably a little bit more known for his djing at this point in his life and then someone i wanted to I would put in this category, and I'd love to hear what you guys think, uh, DJ Scratch from mm. EPMD, who continues yes. to be like a world-conquering DJ and is, is a well-known producer for decades now. Like, where do you guys rank a, a Scratch in this discussion? I, my, my mind, when I originally conceived of this question, immediately went to a person like a DJ Scratch, um, who I've seen behind the turntables, right? Like, my mind immediately went to, like, who are the producers I've seen Scratch is is really dope. Um, I would also put in there uh, uh, DJ uh, Battlecat, who mm. you know what I mean. Who is 
again, of, of, of high quality turntablism, let's say, and then also um, super heavy on the productions. And a couple of our folks on the timeline um, had mentioned him as well. But you brought no, up Babu, no which nobody has him, said. But I want to throw him in, Egyptian lover. Okay. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Our 100%. East Coast friends are like, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, he can, he can actually DJ. Like, we've seen him yeah. fucking yeah. beat juggle and, and, you know, play these crazy beats that he made 20 years ago. Uh, While signing a record and uh, promoting <laughs> totally. himself. Totally. Like, it's so crazy. He's the, I just want to bring best. him up because you brought up Battle Cat, and that's, like, the same era. It's, like, For kind sure. of electric right. era. For sure. And I consider that to be a part of hip-hop. I think we could quibble about Joe, Joe Cooley. Other people consider. Yes. Joe, Joe Cooley, totally. if we're going there. Yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah. Uh, well, you had mentioned Babu earlier too. And, um, you know, on that tip, I want to mention our boy D Styles because yes. not, not only one of the best fucking pure turntablists, I actually like his production. I actually like his beats, you know what I mean? Um, obviously all the stuff with Third Sight is just phenomenal. Um, sort of- um, Also, also, hold on, shameless <laughs> promotion. The only songs that I've made that people care about were produced by D Styles. Thank you very much. That's right. That's right. I I I saw your um, homepage image. That's right, dude. <laughs> That's right. Um, Static Selecta, sort of on yeah. the DJ Premier radio show yep. tip. Um, you know, someone else who um, I think kind of got lost in the Twitter thread is Diamond D. Um, fantastic yeah. fucking producer, but I've seen him DJ a couple times and. Dude really plays 45s and mixes them and yeah, scratches. He's and, killed you know it in mean? a couple yeah. of the 45 sessions. And like his, his uh, crate digging ethos is just like unimpeachable. Like you, totally. you know that dude is a record head since day one. He'll, totally. He'll, he'll flip it. He'll cut it. He'll go a little bit back and forth. It's not so much about the trickery. And like totally. it's kind totally. of something we, we have to discuss. Like the, the emphasis on technical skill of the late 90s early 2000s like turntablism movement is kind of a separate conversation right. from yeah. the people who sure. are radio DJs or um, I have an sure. interesting one for you guys someone who kind of transcends a lot of different worlds and I was actually really glad to see his name show up on um, the Twitter feed was DJ Fresh mm, he yes, started sir. out in the Bay Area turntablism scene used to do zebra battles with our friends and um, battle style stuff when he was a like a kid basically and now yeah. is a, a very impressive producer with like a really interesting like synth laden production yep. style that doesn't use a lot of samples that's like um, his new album with Merce you might hear a little bit more about soon on the show hey. Uh, hey. is is like kind of making a lot of waves and he has if you look at his production resume he has tapes with so many different kinds of artists and just like he's someone that i'm glad to, i was glad to see it show up yeah yeah same same here type of dude anymore same so, here i uh he was a he toured dj'd for Nas for a little bit too and um i have the i have the proud distinction of having given him a ride home on several occasions because he was that young guy <laughs> at like 15 14 going to to parties and stuff so shout out to dj fresh um doing this thing in, in both realms um let's let let me ask you guys this have you guys ever seen mad lib dj sort of yeah same i i i kind of saw him stand in front of turntables and play yeah you know um, what i mean i didn't those, really those, like keep in time and brazil in time uh movies from mochilla like he plays music at shows he does. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah right. I was, I, that's where I was going. Um, I was remembering the time I saw Mad Lib uh, play at um, at Mena in in San Francisco, and um, 
just very strange. Just, yeah. just very, very, very strange. A lot of people mentioned him, and I think as as best DJ producer. And I think if we're sticking to like on a tape, like the arrangement of vinyl and and things. I mean, DJ is a very broad term, but in right. that way, yes. Um, live, not so much. Uh, that was a very strange and confusing um, show. When you uh, go to America's Most Blunted, you're expecting an orderly procession of sounds, right? <laughs> right. This guy who's, who's uh, rumored to have warehouses full of records and, uh, you, you know, his production is already super, like, schizophrenic. I, the one thing I will give Madlib is that um, his Blunted in the Bomb Shelter mix, you guys know that reggae Oh, my God, yes, the reggae children record. So good. Maybe he oh, missed yes. his calling as, like, a Jamaican selector. <laughs> Uh, because that makes a lot of sense. And you can throw in air horns and like your own right. drops and like you kind of, I, I, I we're talking yep. about it now, so I'll just talk about it. You kind of cover the lack of cohesion by putting in weird effects and oh, sound. Oh, totally. That's like a, a distinctive part of that element of DJ. Part of the aesthetic, right? Yeah, that uh, makes yeah, a lot of yeah. sense. No, Blooded in the Bomb Shelter is, uh, we'll do another segment on this one day. One of the best things that's not streaming. Like, um, it's one of the few like CDs I just have laying around and, and freaking amazing. So that covers up the fact I just slandered uh, Madlib for a little bit. Um, <laughs> Some credence to our kind of like people <clears throat> in our milieu who are really, really good DJs who also do edits, which is right, a style of right. production. Like I oh, feel yeah. like we would be remiss if we didn't mention Khan and King Most and our friend Cutso and Nick yes. Mike and um, um, Shout out DJ Plattern as well. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, a collector slash DJ and is really doing some really cool production work as well. So, um, yeah, there's a, there, there's a list of people we'd be remiss not to mention. I think um, one of the first ones that came to mind was Alchemist. Um, I haven't seen him behind the wheels of steels in a minute, but I mean, dude started off as Eminem's DJ and I'm sure, I'm sure he can still flip records. You know what I mean? Totally. Um, DJ Muggs, of course, that's the easy one, right? Um, I mean, I, again, I haven't heard his like, his um, turntable techniques in a minute, but I'm sure he can still fucking DJ and put together a beat. Totally. On that tip, tape. Dave, Prince Paul. I know, yeah. I know. Like totally. He started as a DJ for Stetsasonic when he was like a child again mm -hmm. and has been in the game for so long, still actively DJs. He was doing 100%. his son for a while. He'll rock clubs. He does yeah. sets. He does... Um, oh, you know who I, I... That made me just think of, and this is slightly different, but it's, this, it is what we're talking about, is Biz Marquis. Oh yes. yeah! Oh, I've seen totally. Bisping. Yes. Yeah, he yeah. has like that 100%. second act as like a corporate DJ yes. entertainer kind of thing, and he's like you know the world's most lovable human being, and he produced a lot of hit records. Like one hundred percent, yeah, that's a, a very good one. distinctive I production style. Who I I didn't think of, and another one, Marley as well on that Dude, tip. For real, you know? he, I mean, the, the early DJ roles, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, his DJ chops were sort of basic early on, but he was certainly that dude. Um, sort of along the same lineage, um, Eric D. Um, mm -hmm. Although there's questions of to what he produced and whatnot, you know. But right. Uh, right. I'm sorry to interrupt, though, Nate. Where were you? Oh, no, you're good, man. Um, one, I was going to say that uh, we, someone we've interviewed, and we we made his DJ and editing prowess a big part of the interview is Ant from Atmosphere. Oh right. Yeah. Uh, melodies forgetting. and memories CDs. Yes. I happen to be a big fan of, and so we we made sure to talk to him about that. I think people who don't think Ant is a good DJ if those people exist, should go check those mixes out. Totally. They're incredible. They're so, so deeply layered. And then totally. I'm actually honestly a little embarrassed it's taken us this long to say this word in this conversation. Shadow. 
Yeah, totally, totally. I was sort of waiting to uh, bring him up for some uh, later transitional uh, phrasing <laughs> for Damone, you know. Um, so maybe we could like wait for that. Um, one that just popped up on the Twitter feed, which I think always sort of escapes me, is Exile. Um, shout out to Nick. Yeah. Yep. But um, yeah. Exile beats fucking insane. And, you know, we all know Duke and DJ. So um, that's another big one. What's the, what are some surprises or some standout uh, responses from the Twitter feed, Damon? Yeah, so I, I'm going to read some of them. Shout out to everybody that responded. The mentions were blowing up. I, I didn't know it would be uh, such a hot button topic. Um, let's see. John Morrison, uh, who we, we mess with on Twitter a lot, um, who is uh, at John underscore liberator. Uh, he goes, Dr. Dre. He's elite on the tables, drum machine, and behind the board. And it, uh, we know Dre had his beginnings as like a, a, a DJ DJ. Can right. I just throw a, a brief anecdote in? Because I think sure. this is so cool. Um, Dre was known for a blend of one of the drive tracks. Mm -hmm. uh, jive, not drive. Sorry, I think I misspoke there. Jive uh, rhythm tracks with, um, is it the Marvelettes? Um, when he was yeah. first, first DJing, and they had our buddy mm -hmm. DJ Plattern uh, redo that for the Straight Outta Compton movie, which is um, oh really? I, I would have retired right then. I would have built this is like the coolest <laughs> thing you could have have done. Like he was able to perfectly recreate Dre's blend and do it in a studio environment, so they could use it as part of the movie. I just that is such a fucking cool story. Absolutely, yeah, cool. absolutely. Uh, Maine Moody Minch uh, for cut says for cuts. On the song they produced as Primo for that's, DJ uh, party, that's former uh, DBRP guest John Sclute. Oh, yeah. all right. What up, Sclute? Uh, I love the I love the uh, the handle there. He says for cuts on the song, uh, it's Primo DJing a party just blaze, which I can I haven't seen him live live, but I've seen video of him DJing and he uh, just blaze is really good. A lot of folks said just blaze. A lot of folks were like it's premiere, you you idiots. But. Um, <laughs> I will say this, um, to kind of bring DJ Shadow back into the conversation, um, I would argue he has as much of a claim to being the best in both of those uh, totally. categories, um, as does it DJ Premier. I think DJ Premier obviously has these huge records on which he is scratching that right. make you go, obviously, and it is obvious, there's no, you know, there's no righter answer than DJ Premier. Uh, let's see. Spin it. Oh, I can never say this. Spinitich says too many off top, uh, but here's something that deserve a mention. Lord Finesse Premier Pete Rock, who we haven't mentioned, um, who I did see uh, open up for uh, Reggie Watts one time, and was yeah, it was really good. Reggie that Watts really seems like it should be the other way around. I know. <laughs> Red, Reggie Watts and uh and Most Deaf when he was still Most Deaf did a show at Ed Yoshi's and, and Pete Rock was the the DJ and he was really mm. really Watts good. Seems very out of place there, but that's cool. And uh, that Damone is uh, Smythe Spinach, who's a producer in his own right. Um, Smythe, Smythe Spinach, yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, Hip Hop Brainiac says RZA all day. Who we have, we have not mentioned. Um, Riza, I kind of put in that kind of mad libish category right. where I've seen him play records, but he does his his craft is kind of I mean it's Riza esque. Uh, let's see, uh, Akash Pandey says folks are sleeping on Ninth Wonder. 
um, who I didn't, yeah, who I, I haven't known as a DJ, uh, feel free to, to drop receipts on the timeline if you've got, you've got video here. I can never, can I, if I'm saying this wrong, Nate, correct me. Um, LaRange? I believe LaRange, that's correct. Yes. Uh, Premier is the right answer, but I'm going to go with Dan the Automator, who was that's a good one. Yeah, who was on our program and is a DJ's DJ uh, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, let me see. A lot of a lot of Alchemist. Oh, um, somebody whose name hasn't come up, but I've seen DJ live and is amazing. Q-Tip. Ah. Uh, Q-Tip is a really good fucking DJ. Like, I, I, I will do the thing we I do every time when we talk about this. Go watch that YouTube video of him doing a loop by hand. The needle drop. The needle drop loop thing he does. I like. Oh, it's amazing. It's it's one of the coolest things I've yeah. ever seen. And that's, again, one of those things where you're like, that's a record, dude. That's a person oh, who's had records their yes. entire life, who cares about this, who knows his records, like who's like a genius with records. And it, mm -hmm. it mostly showed in the way of being, you know, the, one of the most creative and influential producers and rappers of the golden age. But he totally. DJed the shit out of those records if he wanted to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. I, I caught him at a at a, a a show when I was in Brooklyn in 2013, and it was absolutely freaking amazing. Um, somebody we haven't mentioned, and and I am not super up on. Uh, Fretboard Brewing Company says no of Cunning Linguist, a master of drums, crazy layering, boom bap, and bizarre samples. Um, Sage Francis chimes in with. Ill with the beats and on the wheels of steel? Question mark. Buck, Buck sixty five deserves high consideration, um, which I wasn't I wasn't totally aware of. Um, but he he's changed his name, right? And he's like he's on uh, he's on Controller's new record, no? Uh, right. They exactly. did that record kind of not under their main handles. Okay. Um, okay. And I I think he's semi retired, but he did do okay. that um, project Billy with Billy seven um, yep. last year, I believe only as a vocalist. Oh, okay. Okay. I think um, did the beats and um, buck 65 did like the. He, he's a fantastic DJ. I've actually, I've seen his DJ sets like way back in the day and like he DJ DJs, you know? Nice. Okay. So, okay. Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a good shout from Sage. Shout out yeah. To Sage, Sage Francis throws that in for us. Bobby Freedom says uh, premiere in Danger Mouse. Um, which I haven't caught Danger Mouse, but I do know that he is a record, record guy. Yeah, David, uh, Simone, I don't know if you know this. That's Rob Sonic from Sonic Sum and many other things. Hail Mary oh, okay. and all that stuff. Oh. Yeah, that's Bobby Freedom. Um, oh. our, our guest is here, guys. We, okay. <laughs> we have to continue this on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> and he just went away. Shit. Okay. 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 Dave, your microphone is under your thing. And so we oh. can't hear you and it's rubbing against it pretty hard. Got it. Thanks. Although, Nate, I could watch you pop your collar all day. <laughs> all day. <laughs> all day. I'm like, is it 2004 again? <laughs> okay, hopefully he'll come back in. We, uh, that's weird. We hardly ever edit something like right in the middle of a sentence like that. Well, do you want me, you want me to, to bring it to closure? And then it'll make it Yes, because smoother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So shout out to everyone who chimed in on our timeline with this question of the week. Check out uh, at DadBodRapPod on Twitter. We'll be having more questions. Um, I do want to hold up that the Grouch um, kind of roasted us a little bit and asked if we've ever heard of DJ Premier. Living um, up to his name. 
Yes, yes, Grouch. I've heard it from there. Yeah, so we're we're really um, excited to have you guys interact with us. This whole segment has just been a protracted um, build up to our interview guest for today. We have uh, one of the best DJ slash producers around um, on the program today. We're grateful to have a little bit of his time. This is our interview with Cut Chemist. Dad Bod Rap Pop. Dad Bod Rap Pod, another week, another dope interview for you, the listening public. Joining us in Zoom, we have the legendary Cut Chemist, DJ, producer, all-around cool cat, man. What's happening? Hey, how's it going? Oh, man. Uh, Surviving here. We're surviving. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Wanted to start off Mm -hmm. by asking you, What's the first record that you fell in love with? Like actual piece of uh, vinyl that you fell in love with? Oh man, it would probably have to be the, uh, it's a toss up. I can't remember if it was the um, Wizard of Oz or the Star Wars soundtrack, but I would, you know, alternate the two quite a bit. So, um um yeah one obviously for my love of the movie and then for wizard of oz it was just a great i think that was my introduction to narration Mm. records so if anybody's followed my career certainly in the early days um i was fascinated with uh with vocal samples and stuff like that you know which can be traced back to things like double double dnstein ski the lessons and, he, and them being influenced by uh, Africa Islam and the Zulu Beats radio show. And then, you know, you could trace that back to Bambata, you know, but for me, I think a lot of that lineage um, was inspired or I connected it to that Wizard of Oz experience in that record. Mm. So when I heard things like Lesson 2 and Lesson 3, without knowing things like Zulu Beats and, and you know, Bambata's history of DJing, uh, with weird records like that, I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, you know, stitching music uh, with movie things and, and dialogue and stuff like that. Like, I, I get it. And I really, I really responded to it. So that was my beginning for all that was, was those two, were those two records, the Star Wars soundtrack and the Wizard of Oz. Stop. Dope, dope. Hey, Cut, I just want to, um, firstly, just thank you for your time. I'm a big fan. Um, thank you. I just want to jump around a little bit. I actually spoke to you for Wax Poetics way back in the day when um, right around the time you dropped uh, Sound of the Police, which is, mm-hmm. um, I've always been a big fan of it. I feel like it's a little overlooked. If, if you don't mind sort of just telling people a little bit about the project, how it came about and just what your thoughts on it like years later, because I, I love the album. I mean, <laughs> I love the project, but it's like, I don't really hear it brought up and I just want to sort of embolden it right now. Yeah, I, you know, Sound of the Police 10 years ago. Um, <clears throat> It came out in 2010 in August. 
and uh, it was um, a set that I, I, I put together for Malatu. It was his first uh, debut show in Los Angeles ever uh, for a Mochilla um, Timeless series put on by Brian Cross and um, uh, Andrew Lajero and, 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 and uh, Eric Coleman, you know, uh, um, Mochilla. And um, they asked me to uh, do an opening set. And, and I thought, well, I can't just make this a set. You know, you had people like Quanic there and Egon and, you know, all these heavyweight uh, record collectors slash DJs. And I thought, I want to do a performance, something that is going to be challenging to me, challenging to the audience. And so I thought of doing the whole, um, you know, one turntable loop pedal thing, hmm. which, you know, people like Radar had done. And, uh, you know, I first saw the loop pedal routine with uh, Victor Wooten, the bass player from Bella Fleck back in the 90s. And so I thought, well, this would be a good opportunity to do that. It's not electronic music I'm doing. I'm doing world music and using original pressing, you know, uh, records from Ethiopia and uh, South America and kind of paying tribute to music around the world um, focused on Ethiopia from Malatu. Uh, the reason I called it Sound of the of the police obvious nods to you know uh, karis one but also because um ethiopian most of the ethiopian music that i like was comprised of military personnel as the musicians mm. so i thought it was a cool play um and, and kind of had nods in both directions um and so yeah that's how it came about and and i wanted to uh put it out so i think it was like one of my first independent releases outside mm -hmm. of like, I, I think post audiences listening, um, mm -hmm. which came out on Warner Brothers. So Sound of the Police was my first endeavor where, you know, I hired a publicist for it and it, it, you know, it got some pretty good notoriety when it came out. I toured it around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it did quite well. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, I wanted to touch a little bit on your kind of archival side you've uh, you really seem to be making a push to um digitize tapes and old mm -hmm. kind of like lessons in hip-hop history for the fans can you just talk a little bit about like um a, a bit of your your collecting ethos and what you're doing on your band camp and with your subscription service to kind of bring those to people absolutely um no better time than a quarantine, right? Than to <laughs> go, go into the archives and uh, share what you have. And, and that's pretty much what I set out to do. Even before um, COVID, I mean, in 20, what was it? 2015 or 2016, I started a radio show on DubLab, which focused on kind of me sharing my record collection. And, um, and so, you know that had its run for a few years, and then I wanted it. I wanted to make it something more personal and um, more direct to fans and subscribers. So we started a subscription series on uh, on the Bandcamp, uh, and so I just go through records um, and tapes and exclusive things, stems. You know, I mean, there's so many things ahead of me that I that I have to digitize. That it, it's just going to get crazier and crazier. So this month I'm doing my favorite mixtapes from the 90s. Um, 
And I don't want to give away, you know, I, I did uh, DJ Shane travel through, traveling through Sample Land from 93, which was a monster for me, huge. And, um, and so tomorrow I'm going to unleash another one. And then, you know, a week after that, I'm going to do five tapes for this month. And, um, you know, I just want to keep going kind of down that path where it's like after mixtapes, then what? We've done Park Jam tapes, um, Herculoids uh, versus L Brothers from, you know, 79, uh, you know, Jazzy J in 80, you know, stuff like that. Stuff that I grew up listening to that heavily inspired me. I want people to get that, you know, an, an understanding of what, how I got here. And um, maybe it could be inspiration for them as well. Yeah, it's, it's very generous. And I think um, it's very rare these days to have anyone focus on the Park Jam era at all. Like you'll catch little snippets on LL Cool J's radio station. But I think it's like very, like, it, it needs to be done to like remind people where, all, where this all comes from. So I think, I think it's dope you're doing that. Yeah, I mean, you know, think about it in context of in 1984 when I was 12, listening to like, you know, what was the hot record? Like, you know, Roxanne, Roxanne, let's say. Uh, so how many years is, are the, is it like 1980 to now? That's uh, 40, 40 years, 40. right? Mm -hmm. So what was 40 years from 1984? <laughs> yeah, 1944, <laughs> like some yeah, Benjamin right. so or something. Somebody was like, Yo, yeah. you got to get down with this Glenn Miller shit. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, these Glenn Miller uh, uh, rehearsal tapes are really what you need. So, you know, I would have been like, get the hell out of here. No way. You know? <laughs> so I understand like how people could be like, nah, that's not my thing. But but it's my thing. And and, and there's a, um, a culture of people that still do covet that. And it is the beginning of, you know, of, of this huge culture that, you know, grew into what it is today. And so I, I, I try not to like cram it down people's throats, but I try to let people know, hey, this is a thing. And if you want to explore it, it's here and I'll, I'll show you the way, you know, and if not, that's cool. We also have this other stuff, you know, you might want to listen to my Diplo mix. You know? <laughs> right. So it's cool. That's awesome. Do, do you consider yourself a part of the turntablist tradition and this idea of, of turntable as musical instrument, which was huge in the early, in I'd say mid nineties, right? Um, with ISP and everything coming into the fold. Do you, do you consider yourself a part of that tradition and kind of where do you stand with that now? Uh, yeah, turn, turntables as, a, as an instrument, for sure. I always looked at it as, as one. Uh, when I started DJing, it wasn't to play records as much as it was to scratch as a percussive um, instrument. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, I totally gravitated towards that. Once it was established as turntablism, I was like, oh, hell yeah, finally. Okay. You know? Um, and now at the same time, I was like, I don't know if I'm worthy to like, just lump myself in with these giants. Cause I mean, you know, beat junkies, the pickles. I mean, the, to be around in the scene in the mid nineties was, it was both intimidating and very welcoming and inviting. You know, I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I didn't belong, but I didn't feel like, I, but I mean, it was like, dude <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. like especially yeah. doing gigs in in, in sf and it, it seemed like i was gigging with these dudes every weekend it was crazy and um to be a part of like dave paul's uh release the bomb 
compilation, which pretty much uh, revitalized the DJ as a solo artist on record mm. um, in 95. Uh, you know, I was, and I think that that was a lot of what solidified me in that scene is being on that compilation. It was me, it was the Scratch Pickles, it was Beat Junkies, Z Trip. Um, and so when we would all, we all hadn't met really, but when we met each other later, it's like, hey, you're that guy from that comp. I love your song. I'm like, yo, your song's dope too. And it was just all, you know, very cool. And and um, we just felt like one big crew. That's so dope. That's so dope. I um I want to um bring it back a little bit further. Um, in in Nate's awesome article on you, uh, there's there's a there's a portion about the Unity Committee, and and anytime anybody sort of brings up like the Good Life era, I'm always very interested there's just so much profusion and such an active time and space um what was it like performing at the good life as part of unity committee and being just so young and thrown into that environment if there was ever any era that i could bottle and keep forever that would be it <laughs> you know just um you know being from hollywood and and and, and going down there every thursday just again being around it was, uh, Giants is an understatement. I mean, it was like right. spirits and, and, and elders and, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was MC based, right? So mm -hmm. me being a DJ, I always kind of felt like, you know, I was always in the, in the, in the audience. A few times I would jump on stage, just kind of like cheerleading, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was MC based. So, um, but to be a part of it as a rap group, and to be embraced by that scene was was a big deal to me and i think a big deal to all of us you know because when you mm -hmm. see people like micah and ac up there and you know volume 10 was also part of our crew so he came down with us and he you know blew up the spot so much he, he got embraced hella you know put, put in heavy weights i was i was like damn okay um but yeah seeing these dudes just like create on the spot spontaneously it's it's you just don't know unless you were there i think ava did a great job at the documentary mm -hmm. but it's still hard to to feel those feelings that i felt watching that shit live i mean it was just it was life-changing it changed my entire perspective on hip-hop and i thought i you know i was a scholar of that shit already and I, when i walked into there and saw Micah do Seventh Seal, and I saw First Brigade with, <laughs> with uh, Ganja, and I was like, I got, I don't know shit, you know, <laughs> I don't know nothing about this culture. And the thing that was so dope about it is this was my own backyard, you know. I was a scholar of, of like mostly East Coast and origin shit, and here comes my own hometown with some brand new revolutionary shit of the culture I love. I was like, hell yeah, you know, hell yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um. I could go on and on about the good life. Uh, Dante will get no time. <laughs> um, I want to switch it up a little bit. Cut. You have the ill Cold Crush Brothers flyer shirt on today. Um, can you talk to us a little bit and kind of like bring our audience up to speed on the quest for paper? Um, I'm, I'll just, before you start, let me just posit one thing. I feel like paper and ephemera and flyers and stuff is where record collectors go when they're they they're burnt on records and i don't know if you agree with that or not but can you talk to us about your kind of lifelong pursuit of flyers and posters and things of 
hip hop culture in that regard as well? Yeah, I think um, in this in this day and age of digitization of music, um, you just can't do that with paper. These are artifacts from the time. I mean, these are living, breathing artifacts from this. You know what it is? They're time machines. When you hold them, you're there. This thing was on a telephone pole weathering storms and telling people when this show was going to happen. And um, who knows what that flyer saw on that, on that corner. And now it's, I'm holding it. Like, mm. there's something very, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, transcendent. <laughs> transcendent about it. So especially when I find flyers of things that I've been to, mm. you know, like if I see a flyer for the Stardust Ballroom in 84 with Fishbone opening up for iced tea, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> I, like that's my most wanted flyer, you know, mm. um, things like that. So when I'm holding stuff like, you know, a 1980, you know, like I have this flyer, the sunken treasure cold crust joint. And it's just, it's a way to collect pieces of the culture differently than, than, than the records. And the records themselves are also artifacts, but since they were mass produced, you know, how many of those are still around versus how many of these are still around? You know, it, it, it's rare to find these flyers still around and intact, you know? Absolutely. So, and, and, and the more game weathered, and I say game weathered, uh, that's a Pete Nice term, the better. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's gotta be clean or, you know, it was put in a drawer by the designer. I'm like, no, nah, I want the one that was on the telephone pole, like for a week. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome shit, you know? <laughs> it's like, like if you look at it the wrong way, it's just gonna fall apart, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. That's dope. So you've uh, obviously done a great amount of kind of archival work and, and thank you for that. Um, what's, what's coming up next for you? This has obviously been a weird year uh, for DJs, especially not being able to see gig live, but kind of uh, as we wrap here, what can fans expect from you uh, in, the, in 2021? Well, Charlie Tuna and I have been working on a record together. Oh, wow. So sick. sick. Um, we were doing a lot of shows last year and, you know, we kind of got together and we said, you know, if by chance there isn't a pandemic next year <laughs> and we continue to do shows, we should make an album so that we're actually pushing a product of us together, not just like, you know, doing a compilation of our together greatest hits, um, which was great. So we've been spending this year making a new record and um, trying to push ourselves to do something different. Mm. Obviously with the times and the climate, um, we couldn't just do some 2019 shit, mm. you know? So we want to do something that's going to, uh, you know, reflect the fact that there, <laughs> that we're in an, a certain age group and the world is the way it is. You know, it's not like we're 20 and it's in the mid nineties. This is, it's mm. a whole different ball of wax. So we have to, express ourselves differently and we've both been up for the challenge i'm so proud of them proud of myself and i'm really happy with what we've been doing because it's completely different than anything we've done before Ooh, okay well that's something that we will definitely be looking forward to and as well as our our fans here on the show cut chemist we just want to thank you for coming on man and for everything you do thank you so much thank you guys man and thanks for everything you guys do Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Take man. care, man. Appreciate you. All right. See ya.
Peace. Peace. Dad Bod Rap Pod, that was our conversation with Cut Chemist, where Nate uh, doesn't really come up in the interview, but you did like a 80,000 word New Yorker piece on him, right? Like, uh, you share a little bit of a, yeah, it, <laughs> what it was that was my like? First, my first big feature. I've, I've always wanted to write a feature. Um, I don't think it is New Yorker quality. Sadly, I'm just not good enough for that. But I've been reading The New Yorker since I was like 20 years old, and I really wanted to try to pull off a long form thing and a, a, an in-depth profile. And it was extremely hard to do. I'll say that. Like, I, I don't think I did it right, but there are things I like about the piece and I'm proud to have published the piece. But um, it was, it was, it took some effort. It basically took about two years working up on it off and on, like, um, and an extensive editing process. Shout out Jeff Weiss or uh, Deft Jeff, as I call him, because he's deft with the edits. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, I, I profiled Cut Chemist and we, we got in depth about some of the stuff that's going on in his life, certainly about his music, about his childhood. And I, I think Dave can relate here. Um, it is so weird researching a piece like that because that's the longest thing I've ever written, at least since college. And I didn't use... 90% of my research. It's like you <laughs> learn so much. Like that's why journalists are such interesting people, right? Not that I'm saying that about myself. You, you know so much because you collect all this stuff and then you have to decide what to even use. Right. So just like there's, there's large sections that I wrote that just didn't make the piece and or were in versions of it. And like, I just, I'll tell one of the stories here because this is kind of my time to do it. Cut was essentially bullied when he was in junior high and there was like for for a long time this was like a part of the thing and we didn't end up focusing on his childhood that much um and one of the kids who was like one of the cool like hip-hop graffiti writer kids um in this crew who kind of like actually like messed with him um was david arquette what what yeah i have i have like (laughs) a 30 minute version of the tapes from the interviews where we talk about how weird it is to be bullied by David. By David Arquette. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was asking him about it. This is an amazing story. He like, he, he cut was really into graffiti and he's always been really into art and drawing. And there was this, this famous graffiti spot. And so uh, he's really close with both of his parents. His dad has since passed away and he had his dad drive him to the spot and he was going to go look to like copy down things to like get ideas for his graffiti. But these, this crew was there. I think it's the CBS crew, which is like still an ongoing concern and like very big in LA graffiti scenes. So cut had his dad go and take pictures of the graffiti at this place and then he came back to the car and he like kind of like stayed in the car 
And then, yeah, man, it's just like, there. it's crazy stuff. Like, I, I just know so much about this dude because we had these really, <laughs> like, intense conversations. But um, anyway, none of that matters. The piece is published. It's on passionoftheweiss.com. If you guys want to read it, I would love it if you read it and, like, told me what you thought about it, whether you liked it or not. I was trying to arrive at this. He's He's had kind of a rough go of it in the last couple of years. It hasn't been easy for him. But he, I think he's an incredible artist. Like I, I, I'm a huge Cut Chemist fan. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the pod either, but I'll tell it very briefly now. Um, when the Jurassic Five EP came out, I was so blown away by Lesson Six. This was during the AOL days. I sent emails to people named Lucas McFadden on AOL, to like <laughs> fan letters, and hoping wow. to like find Cut Chemist. Wow. And no one ever responded. I don't know if it was his email, AOL email address or not. But when we first started to talk about the, you know, doing the interviews for the, what eventually became the piece, I kind of confessed that to him. I'm like, I'm not just like a fan of yours. Like I'm like a mega fan of yours. Like I love your music. Lesson six blew me away. Like it's such an incredible mm -hmm. DJ track and he does such interesting things with time signatures and actually people who listen to it on streaming now won't get the full, kind of yeah, thrust of good. it because because of copyright law some of the pieces had to be removed but anyway um i've always been a big fan of his music um i think the early um j5 beats especially on the ep are like all timers and i love his uh chemistry with Newmark and the guys and he, he's just he's just a really really dope dude and like i came to appreciate die cut his second solo album a little bit more in the process of exploring kind of the underpinnings of it and for our audience i think you could like get a lot out of watching the video for metal storm which is mm -hmm. the song with mr liff and Edon just trading bars over this crazy industrial loop and cut animated and produced that video himself he's a he took film classes at ucla and he did used all these really interesting techniques um i had this whole thing because at the time we were talking he had gotten a deal from a major technology company to make all these videos for their music services. And so I was like, Oh, I'll write the thing and I'll, I'll make that the end. Like, Hey, you can watch all these four videos. And then like two years later, that didn't seem as relevant anymore, but he had, you know, he had gotten <laughs> to like exercise kind of his, his auteur vision and bring together all of his different skill sets, visually, musically, cinema, cinema, cinematographically, if you will. <laughs> so anyway, um, I could, talk about cut chemist all day um but i'm glad we had a chance to have him on the show and yeah um i think something that people should look harder into and i think i hope it was interesting for you guys too is this whole like idea of the flyer or paper collecting yes. the flyers yeah. the posters mm -hmm. the ephemera like the the artifacts of the culture like we use terms like this a lot but in cut chemist's case like he's a he's a hip-hop scholar like he's doing oh for sure of archiving the the very earliest days of the culture and i i think that is such an important project and and i'm glad it's him um totally. Totally. I, i've stated on this program before kind of my distaste for certain institutions organizations kind of treating like hip-hop like a a dead moth under glass um whereas cut chemist is a practitioner of the culture um i loved his connection through graffiti and i always feel like uh, people who are in graffiti have a deeper reverence for hip hop. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm okay with saying that because I for feel sure. like um, if if you're into it on that level, then you're probably into like all of it as as a cultural movement as opposed to just a, a music 
right? So, um, no, that was exciting to see. And, and hopefully uh, with his kind of connections and resources, um, he can really kind of get that together. It'd be great to see some institution work with Cut Chemist on archiving and putting all these things together. Uh, Adisa Banjoko, who we had on the program way, way back, uh, did a hip hop exhibit at the Oakland Museum. Um, that was really dope. And uh, part of the reason I loved it, because I know that Adisa is a hip hop dude. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was great to hear about and great that, to hear that he has um, new music. It's, I've been, it's been heartening to see some of the DJs of that time himself, Newmark, Shadow, find these different lanes um, to kind of stay, stay not I hate the word relevant, but kind of stay working um, and stay uh, in in the loop in terms of continuing to make music and not compromising. And so, um, yeah, it was great to, great to hear him kind of uh, break down where where he's going uh, with his with his music. Dave, you're um, have have you ever written about cut? I have. I actually interviewed him for Wax Poetics like many years ago, right around the time his uh, Sound of the Police mix came out. So um, when I heard that Nate was talking to him, it was actually like it was sort of perfect full circle because it had been a few years removed from that. And, um, you know, to your point earlier, Nate, um, I thought it was a great article, super well written, super um, uh, factually correct. And I think the most important thing was that like you leave the takeaway from the article is that you humanized him. And I think that's the most important thing. I mean, you can do a super in-depth piece about all his equipment, but you don't know the person. And I think um, some of the stuff you touched on with his family and stuff, I thought was awesome that he shared it and that you um, focused on that. So that was great, man. Thanks, man. If I've lost you, I've, uh, I officially have no fans. So no, I, 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 your support means a ton to me. Only fan. No. <laughs> I'm Nate's only fan. Account. Uh, no, but, uh, know, uh, Dave has like always been my biggest like champion and like at times my agent, basically. So, um, I don't think people realize how involved Dave is in anything that I write. So thank you, Dave. And of course, publicly, man, of course. publicly stating, I really appreciate you. And uh, I leaned on you for emotional support, for editing, for ideas, for scheduling. Like oh, I, of course. I just well, bounce everything off of you when I do this. So I, I really, really appreciate that. And like the fact that you thought it came out well meant a lot to me. Um, yeah, and, man, and, oh, 100%. And we have a couple other, uh, couple other things. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say I, I, I feel slightly um, underappreciated as I made fun of you for not watching <laughs> this article for, I want to say, a solid year, which is my own way of showing love, but it's fine. Uh, it's you fine. were well within your rights to think that it wasn't ever going to come out. And, like, honestly, and I'm, this is a little bit too real for the jokey podcast outro sphere there uh, there's been a ton of things i've started in my life that i never finished you know what i mean like it, this was this very easily could have been another one of those <laughs> but because of dave because of jeff weiss because of my wife like because of my finding something within myself it's like just finish it dude like, push just, it out like just push it yeah, out just just finish it that's like the most important thing yep. to being a creative person is like not dithering with things forever or until you get sick of them it's yep. just finishing them and publishing them yep i'll tell you guys a little a little story this has ceased being about com cut chemists and starting <laughs> about me which is making me uncomfortable but i around uh christmas time i talked to my grandma and uh she's not real hip on hip-hop blogosphere politics not written, really so no way i was t trying to explain to her 
what I'd been working on. And I'm like, well, I just published this big piece. It's a profile about a musician that I'm really excited about. And, and she's like, published where? And I'm like, oh, it's this blog. It's called Passion of the Wise. So she's like, yeah, yeah, that's the internet. But you said it got published? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shoot. For my grandma, who's 95 years old, that, that probably still would mean paper. Uh, maybe <laughs> someday, paper grandma. Paper mill somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that hurt my feelings. <laughs> Well, you well know, just print print out the article from uh, Passion of the Weiss and, and totally. send it to her. <laughs> totally. She wants to know all about uh, Unity Committee and their experiences <laughs> of the good life, I'm sure. Well, you know, to bring it back, to center it back to Cut Chemist, um, it was really awesome to hear all his history and stuff. And, you know, sort of to our conversation earlier about the best DJ slash producer, he is so much of a DJ and his prowess is so hard that I feel like his production gets overlooked. And, mm. You know, uh, this mm. this this is the dude who who did Alphabet Aerobics. You know what I mean? Yep. This is the dude yep. who did Unified Rebellion. You know what I mean? So power in numbers. There's just so much, and um, to have a minute of his time was really great. I mean, he's he's definitely one of the greats, and I just love his sort of chill temperament. And um, to your point earlier, Damone, I I wouldn't want anyone else to collect hip hop paper than Cut Chemist, somebody who truly gets it. And, and in the interview, I loved how he was like, no, I want the worn out copy. The, the one yeah. Worn out by time, you know what Summer I mean? Summer winters, yeah. yeah. That was so, so cool, I loved so that cool. part. Um, so cool, man. Again, uh, this I might do a story on this someday or not, but uh, something he shared with me that I feel comfortable sharing with the audience, because the more people who know about this, the better, is some some paper collectors, not him necessarily, but some, are looking for pre-Cool Herc artifacts. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's currently in question whether or not a party had been thrown before 1521 mm -hmm. Sedgwick, which which would, would kind of redo yeah, the timeline yeah, yeah. of when we think about hip hop. And I, I find that fascinating. Yeah, that's like finding a femur like bone that the, like rewrites history. It. Yeah, totally. Or like um, one of those Nicolas Cage movies where he steals the Declaration of Independence. No, you know what I was thinking about? That chemist as Indiana Jones with like kind of like with with the hat on. No, it's this belongs in a stable. Um, what's it called? Uh, the funny thing about that is uh, there were so many jokes during the uprising at the cap or the insurrection at the Capitol where they're like, I no longer think it would be hard for Nicolas Cage to steal the Declaration. <laughs> It's remarkably easy. easy. Remarkably easy. Yeah. Well, when the police oh, are on your side, it's pretty easy. There you so, go. Not, not to make light of a terrible situation, but I did think those were some funny jokes. Absolutely. Oh, um, so we hope that uh, that our hip hop artifacts get better protection than the uh, Capitol building, uh, and they they rest in the good hands of of real hip hop heads. Dave, I, I just wanted to chime in. You mentioned that Cut Chemist is in some ways. Um, not heralded as a producer. And I think he exists and Newmark is in this area too. And to some extent shadow, mm -hmm. they do a style of production that is in some ways DJing. Like their styles of production are so closely, um, you know, DJ influenced and seems almost like um, DJ sets in a way. I remember hearing the original, um, that first Jurassic five EP, and going like, is he just spinning this? Was there a machine involved? Like, was he just kind right. of spinning these records independently? And so I think it's a it's something that's not talked about a lot. But um, as I mentioned, I'm just glad this kind of thing still happens. We had, we talked to Newmark um, a while ago as well. And 
he's been able to to build on that sound and keep that that sound alive. So it, it's it was great to talk to uh, to cut and hear his um, where he's going with his music, his archival projects, and hopefully once everybody gets vaccinated, uh, you know he'll be able to get back on tour and and get everything started again. Um, so we, we want to definitely thank Kakimas for coming on. Um, it was a little bit shorter than we like, so maybe we will bring him back um, at some point. Um, I will put in another pitch for Nate's uh, Kakimas profile, which is on Passion of the Weiss. Um, it, is, it is really good and very painstakingly put together. Um, so please check that out if you haven't done so already. Um, you probably know this already. We do a show every Thursday. We drop a show every Thursday. We've been doing it for three years straight. This has been episode 152. We're chugging along into 2021. You want to interact with us on Twitter at DadBodRapPod. We're also on Instagram at DadBodRapPod. Um, we have DadBodRapPod mugs for everyone out there. Um, shout out to Stony Island Audio, Open Mike Eagle, and his uh, merch engine machine. So we're slanging those. Um, you know, keeps us keeps us uh, happy and excited to get, you know, a little bit of merch money. Um, but we really just appreciate everybody's time and patronage of this program. If you like what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Uh, we're going to keep coming. We have so many dope interviews in the can, and we can't wait to unleash them on y'all. Um, so, you know, now until the coup attempt is complete, we are the Dad Bod Rap Pod. Don't be high with the audio.